Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910980 AM, or anywhere on the Odyssey app. You can also catch us anywhere you get your favorite podcast. We're on 36 different platforms. Just search the Rob O'Donnell Show, download it, have it come to your inbox. You'll get it each day. 36 degrees and sunny here in Northeast Pennsylvania, 412 here at the station. So happy to bring on my next guest, uh, Joe Borelli's New York City Council member, Republican leader in New York City. And Joe, there's no short of shortness of things to talk about when it comes to New York State and New York. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. And no, you're right. There is never, never uh, a shortage of crazy things we could be discussing. And let's, let's just start it off with the governor of, of New York. And I, I saw we both commented on this pretty much about the same time when it came out, when she was bragging about setting up this, co- this committee to look at reparations for New York State. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on this? Look, I mean, New York was one of the first t- uh, states to abolish uh, slavery. It's something that a Staten Islander did, Governor uh, Daniel Tompkins. It's something that we should be proud of. The uh, Robert Gould Shaw, they made a movie about him. They commanded the 54th Massachusetts, the movie Glory. That guy was a Staten Islander, a New Yorker. We should be proud of our legacy uh, of ending slavery and and, and committing so many men to the cause uh, of the Union and fighting against slavery. That The fact that we're having this discussion right now is unbelievably ridiculous. And for Hochul to do this, it just shows that now that the election's over, she's willing to be divisive, and now she's more concerned about her left flank going into her, you know, potentially her first full four-year term. And she just doesn't give a, a, a rat's, you know what, uh, what regular workday New Yorkers think, because this is one of the most unpopular things you will see come out of Albany this year. And that's, that's, a, that's a pretty tough bar to beat, I mean, because there's some unpopular things coming out of Albany. But this will be number one. And we've seen this play out already in California, where the governor of California, you know, if you want to look for what what not to do as a governor, you know, Gavin Newsom's a great example for that. He he went through this these motions. He set up this committee. And in the end, they came up and they said, OK, one point two million dollars for reparation payments to people. And all of a sudden he's like, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I, I didn't mean they were going to make financial payouts. We just kind of wanted a dollar figure so we could figure out what to do next. And you, you you tell people in your state that, yeah, we're going to look into this where maybe payments for you get them all excited. And then at the end say, yeah, we really didn't have the money this, for this to begin with. Well, you, you're thinking too rational, Rob. I mean, uh, you would think that's pretty ridiculous. They're ready to make that guy Newsom president because for the Democratic Party, you know, the, the, the focus on race and the checkbox, poli- checkbox politics uh, and the focus downstream on reparations is what gets you status in, in the party. And that brings me to really my, my next point about reparations is that if Democrats want to find an entity that was around during slavery, that advocated for slavery, that kept people and empowered people in office who perpetuated slavery, who owned slaves, and it's an entity that still raises and spends hundreds of millions of dollars every year, that's actually the Democratic Party itself. Look back to to the convention of 1860, the party platform in the 1840s and 1830s and 1850s, and this is an entity, an institution still existing that advocated for slavery. And then after slavery, they were the principal opponents to Reconstruction. So if we're looking for someone to pay, maybe you're right, but it should be the Democratic Party who should be the first ones getting out the checkbooks. Sounds sounds pretty logical to to the rest of the people who look at this. 
Um, looking at what's going on, I talk about it here daily. Uh, you know, I'm a former New York City homicide detective, lived in New York City my, most of my adult life. Finally, you know, made the move to escape after I retired. I moved here to the Northeast Pennsylvania. We're only two hours from, from, from New York City. Uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania, where we're based out of here in Scranton, Wilkesbury area. Hillary Clinton's childhood home, uh, Joe Biden's childhood home. They're really not seeing migration, the illegal migration here like you guys are there. I warn about it all the time. You hear the mayor saying, you know, they're basically crying uncle. They've cut departments already five, then 10 percent, looking for another 5 percent to a total of 15 percent come January. Nine billion dollar deficit they're facing. How bad is it there on the ground? Well, but by the way, you might not be getting migrants, but you're getting New York migrants because your low flat tax rate is still cheaper than the uh, much. The, your tax rate for the highest earners, my point, is cheaper than the lowest tax bracket for New Yorkers. So people are definitely moving and migrating to you, just not the illegal migrants that are causing the problems here. But this is very bad. I mean, we did our first round of cuts. We're in negotiations now on what we should cut. Um, it's going to end up in, in headcount reductions. Right now, the impact's not going to be that bad because, in truth, we've been having a problem recruiting for so many of these positions anyway. But come January, you're going to see this next round of 5% cuts have to come from somewhere. A lot of my progressive friends are well-meaning, but they actually believe that money grows on trees and budgets are just fabrications and, 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 and math doesn't really exist. There's money trees everywhere all over New York. And it's just not true. And, and, and to his credit, Mayor Adams has a much more solid grounding in this. And it, it's going to be left on his desk, and he's going to get the blame for it either way. But there's going to be some problematic cuts uh, that the council's going to have to try to fight, but they're not going to be able to. They're, they're, the money just isn't there. And, and we've already seen some of the things that are going on there. The, the mere fact that I saw the, the UFT standing with the city controller talking about let's extend that 60-day right to shelter and not, not have them – uh, get evicted at that point you know the does the uft realize that their jobs are also on the line that the department of education the police department the fire department every single agency is taking cuts well, well no they're actually suing the city trying to uh, sue on a provision in our city charter that says we basically can't uh, uh, reduce education spending if the overall revenues of the city haven't decreased so on one hand they're out there saying spend all this money on the migrants when the money gets spent on the migrants, they're actually, on the other hand, saying, well, we're going to sue you if you cut any education money, even though all the money went for exactly what they asked us to spend it on. That's just New York logic, and this is why we're leading the country once again in people who are leaving the state for greener pastures, whether you're in northeast Pennsylvania or Florida or the Carolinas or anywhere in between. Uh, let's move on to public safety and, and, and basically law and order in New York City. We've seen it suffer. They've canceled the next, what, five police academy classes um, you know, the, the the big talk is, well, crime is down 0.66% in total. Violent crime is down for this year, 0.66%. But when you go to a two-year, crime is up 23.38%, as per the NYPD's own stats. I have Comstat up right here. They're leaving that part out. You know, okay, so you're, so you're just above a half a percent total violent crime de decline for this year. But if you compare it to two years, you're up 23.38%. You've canceled. Morale is shot there. And you have this progressive city council that you sit across from, uh, you know, at least every other day or a couple times a week that, that are looking to micromanage the, the Department of Corrections. They're looking to micromanage police to hamstring them with paperwork and take them off the, 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 the proactive policing even further. Um, 
Give us a little bit on that. Look, look, I'm glad the crime shot down a little bit, right, even though it's, it's just not anywhere near its, its all-time uh, numbers. Um, that said, you know, whatever poll you look at, whatever roundtable or town hall you attend in New York or civic association meeting, et cetera, everyone from, from billionaire CEOs to, to, you know, subway workers and, and, and poor people, everywhere, anywhere you are in New York City, People are saying that public safety is the top one or two uh, concern for New Yorkers. So what does the city council do? Well, just yesterday, they had basically criminal day at City Hall, where we passed one bill, uh, the, the least innocuous, was to prevent uh, landlords. All right, landlords get a bad name in New York. Now we're going to ban landlords from doing a background check on potential tenants. And you know who really actually suffers? The other tenants. And we heard from so many regular New Yorkers who, who basically said, I, I might hate my landlord, but I certainly don't mind that he looks up whether the person he's going to rent to is a, is a murderer. The other bill was to ban solitary confinement, something that has already been banned in New York City for about 10 years. Uh, but they're basically banning punitive segregation. So now if you're on Rikers Island, you assault another inmate, you slash him, you sexually assault a correction officer, you can only be put in punitive segregation for a max of four hours. That's basically a timeout. That's what I give my, my eight-year-old for, for, you know, uh, acting up to his mother. And the last bill was this, was this uh, stop uh, law where we have to now report on any police interaction uh, that police officers have. Uh, there was a Supreme Court case, People v. Bauer. There's three levels of stops. Uh, the, the, the highest level is a full stop and frisk and, and all that jazz. We already report on that. This is going to go down to level one stops, which could be anything from, hey, we're canvassing the area, looking for this guy, have you seen him? You ask someone that question as part of an investigation, now you have to write a report. There's something like two point something million level one stops each year. Each cop uh, is doing hundreds, if not thousands of them. So we're just going to bog down uh, our officers on patrol in paperwork because the goal is to not have police do police work. We already paid the price for defunding the police politically, some of the left. Now they said, well, instead of defunding the police, let's just hamstring them with bull crap paperwork. Excuse my French. Yeah, and, and we all know, uh, anyone who's been on the ground, I know you spend a lot of time with the police department, you spend a lot of time with their unions, the leadership in the police department, as well as the other departments in the city, but but we all know that they are looking to stymie proactive policing. Even officers who are still out there trying to do the right thing in their community, like you said, bog them down with paperwork, make them put blinders on, don't get involved, don't ask people questions, don't get in, and, and we've seen... The, the negative effects of something like that. If you want community policing, let there be community policing. That includes interactions. That includes asking questions. That includes taking questions. But once you once you put that barrier in there, where you're going to have the police outright, you know, look to to not get involved with the public when they should be, common right of inquiry and whatever to stop may be. And like you said, a lot of these procedures have been in place. A lot of this paperwork's already being done. The NYPD is one of the most stringent as far as their stop, question, fix, their 250s, the paperwork and everything they do, their aided cards, you know, every interaction they have. Let's bog them down even more. That's basically it. Uh, you know, and, and you mentioned uh, how, how the department really has come a long way on this community policing model. I mean, we spend a lot of time, uh, energy, and effort on building a department that looks and reflects the communities they serve. And now these officers genuinely are part of the communities in which they uh, operated. And to have them basically have some reservation now 
about just, you know, questioning some, some teenagers on a street corner who look a little suspicious, et cetera, is not going to serve the general public. It's not going to reduce crime. It's not – keep in mind also, Rob, this is, this is an important part of this. It's not going to prevent one bad cop from doing something corrupt or abusing uh, a use of force or anything like that, keep in mind. This is just to bog down police officers with real no tangible benefit or result at the end of the day. Great stance right there. Uh, uh, Joe, the biggest uh, challenge facing New York City right now, if you had to sum it up, what is it? I actually think it's affordability. Uh, I think people are just unwilling to pay the premium that they once were willing to pay to live in what, you know, just five years ago was probably one of the greatest cities on earth. It just isn't anymore. And the fact that costs continue to go up, whether it's housing costs or congestion pricing or groceries, et cetera, and people are just less willing to pay that price. We are one of only three or four states to actually lose people, and uh, it, it's clear why. People just can't afford to live here, and the, the, the state they get for the money they invest is just simply not worth it. That's, that could be the doom loop of New York. I'm, I don't root against us, but that, that really is the problem that could really cause the, the fundamental decline of the city to take. Because with that goes tax base, with that goes income tax, payroll taxes, and uh, you know just the, the the outright infrastructure that's carried New York City in and out, and day in and day out. And like you said, New York leads that list with over a hundred thousand that have fled both New York City and New York State, the entire state. So uh, it, it is it, it's it's that nuclear option to where enough people leave, there's only so much tax to go around. Then then what happens? It's true, and I mean, we we can't even build housing. I mean, to to keep up with with people that even want to stay to kind of decrease the the housing costs. Florida builds five houses for every one unit built in New York City, so you know we we can't even get out of our own way to make New York City profitable uh, and make businesses grow and make uh, businesses want to come here. No business or people or companies come here without some tax incentive, meaning some you know give back by the government. Uh, so that's not a sustainable scenario because we can't keep enticing people by giving away the tax base. All right. Again, we're speaking to New York City Council Republican leader Joe Borelli. Joe, I appreciate you joining us, and I'm sure we're going to speak to you again, my friend. Anytime. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Have a great night.